Before we start, in this episode we talk about suicide. So if this raises anything for you, you can always call Lifeline on 13 11 14. We ask Google everything. We ask what something is. What is love? What is Brexit? What is OK Boomer? Where it is? Where is Hong Kong? Where is Malta? Where is my phone? We search why. Why is my internet so slow? Why is my eye twitching? Why is my poop green? Google has become so embedded into the way we look for and receive information that it's hard to imagine a world without it. Every day, Google will answer somewhere between 3 and 5 billion online searches. But over time, Google has evolved into so much more than a search engine. People use Google as a place to confess things that they wouldn't tell anybody else. This is Patrick Berlinquet, a search engine marketer based in New York. Their wives, their husbands, their shrinks, their family, even themselves. This author, Steven Stavidowitz, calls Google searches digital truth serum and people are so honest with it. Often too honest. People have told Google they're going to kill their girlfriends, find the schedules of bank trucks, you know, to rob them, how to dispose of bodies, how to shoot up heroin, commit suicide, how to join ISIS, how to... Anything you can imagine is searched every day. Patrick believes most people think when they use Google, they're talking into the ether. But this isn't the case. The vast majority of people don't know. I mean, why would they? They're not told that there's a third party who is on the other side of the screen, who sees everything you're doing, everything you're typing. Much of the conversation around Google data has been focused on privacy, and rightfully so. They're a marketplace masquerading as an information resource. So when you Google something, you're just confessing to a corporation. That's where we're at. But on this episode, we're looking at something different. Today, you'll learn about the data behind the dark and dangerous queries on Google, and how we could actually use this data to prevent what people search from happening. This is Think Digital Futures. I'm Jake Morecambe. To understand what we can do with this data, we first have to take a step back and look at what Patrick does. Think of me as the middleman between Google and advertisers. Patrick is a search engine marketer. His job is to help advertisers get their product or service boosted to the top of a Google search, making it one of the first links to appear. To do that, he has to enter an auction. And we're in an auction system. You could think of it as eBay. We're all vying for the top spot. The auction takes place on AdWords, an online advertising platform developed by Google. And here, you bid on keywords. So then how do you do this? Well, then you think of keywords that customers are most interested in. So if they're looking for shoes, what are their their interests? Ofer Mintz is a senior lecturer in marketing at the University of Technology, Sydney. He says the keywords are what people type when they're looking for something, 
So for shoes, people might look up footwear, sandals, heels, runners. When you bid on these keywords, your ad will appear towards the top of the search. But how far up you are depends on how much you pay. If you want to be the top of the top page, here's our suggested price. So bid, let's say $5, $6, $7, whatever it may be. Oh, if you just want to be on the first page, bid $3. This advertising model is called cost per click or CPC. And not only is it effective for advertisers, it's also incredibly profitable, especially for Google. AdWords is 90% of their revenue, makes them $100 billion a year. Everything that is Google relies on this ad system. Patrick usually works with clients to help them turn a profit. But a little while back, he went out on a limb and tried something different. I've been a search engine marketer for 10 years. And that being said, over the last 10 years, I've encountered probably tens and tens of thousands of search queries, right? The words you type into Google that are like sad and depressing and also crazy, violent, and are very disturbing. For years, Patrick blacklisted these words and phrases in his mind and would never bid on or serve an ad for them. But something changed, and he started seeing these searches in a different light. He saw people in crisis. I started to wonder, seeing all these searches, what would happen if I took that blacklist of terms? All the people telling Google they're going to kill themselves or shoot up a school or like join ISIS or shoot heroin or whatever. What would happen if I turned that into a whitelist? Why should someone who is searching for a sneaker on Google see like 20 ads when someone who is searching or telling Google that they're going to kill themselves, which 47 million people do a year in America, does it really just come down to the fact that they can't be profited from? Is that like where we're at? Patrick's idea was to serve these people in crisis an ad, but that doesn't mean he was trying to sell them something. Last summer, summer of 2018, I I built a campaign full of keywords that I imagined someone who was suicidal would put into Google, like, I'm going to kill myself, or I want to die, or I'm severely chronically depressed, I can't go on, stuff like that. And I put ads that would serve when someone searched that on Google. So for a short amount of time, the ad would serve throughout the United States whenever somebody searched that. The ad that would appear would say things like, Speak to somebody now. Get help now. Speak to a hotline. And if you clicked on it, you'd be taken to a website that listed a number to one of these hotlines. It was just like one page with a phone number on it. There was no language. It was nothing. It was just a page with a phone number. That's all you could do was call the number. When he first started the campaign, it was more of a test run. The campaigns that you were running, they were coming out of your own pocket. Right? Um, yeah. I, well, I use my own credit card instead of, you know, planning for my wedding or like buying groceries. I, um, people, you bid on keywords. <laughs> um, and yeah, it, nothing crazy. Like I've said, historically, I've spent four figures, nothing like terribly staggering. But he soon realized it was working. And I found to my surprise that one out of three people who clicked the ad called this number that was on my website, which 
forwarded out to a suicide hotline. That's a conversion rate of 33%. The average conversion rate in commercial marketing is around 4%. So I was like, I know, I know there's something here. The data I really want to stress was not perfect. And it's still not perfect. But regardless of that, this 33% conversion rate really told me, and this was met in the first week, by the way, which normally you have to really do a ton of work to get conversion rates that high. That told me that there's a, there's a need in that space really not being met if so many people are calling. It worked. This was really solidified for Patrick after someone reached out to him. I heard from this gentleman who called me and his son had committed suicide last year. He shot himself. So they went through his phone after they found him and he had Googled that day all the stuff about like how to commit suicide, how to kill myself, uh, painless ways to kill yourself, all this stuff. A lot of the conversation with this gentleman, he was saying, I wish those ads were running that day. Maybe he would have been one of those 33% of people who just called, you know, that hotline and was at least given like another week or so to think about it. And what if he told Google that and an ad spoke to him? Because of the campaign's success, Patrick looked at taking this further, beyond suicide prevention. I really think that can be applied to any ideology. With that said, the next campaign I ran was trying to redirect people who confessed to Google they were going to shoot up a school or their workplace. And by the way, Americans do that every day. They tell Google that. So like a couple months ago, some guy wrote into Google, I'm going to shoot up the school tomorrow. You can't get any more specific than that. This obviously alarmed Patrick, but he says is one of the best examples as to how we can use Google search data to prevent disaster. And that's because this data is so detailed. You know, I could see all the data on my end. He lived in the Midwest, United States. He was 25. He made $37,000 a year. He searched at 5 a.m. in the morning. Even his zip code, I could see like the specific where he was. Why is it that Google, when you search something, has access to all that information? Yeah, a lot of it is the Google products. You sign up for Gmail, you sign up for YouTube, you are on Chrome, you don't sign out of these as you move around. It's not hard. With access to this online information, Patrick says you could act accordingly in the real world. You could literally shut down all the schools in a certain zip code if somebody said, I'm going to shoot up this school tomorrow, which people do. And, you know, look for a shooter who matches the demographic of data that's coming in. You know, with all the data, I could see how old this guy was and his income. And that town was so small, you could kind of filter it down to a, a handful of people. What do you make of a project like that? Well, first, I, I like the intention. I think it's a brilliant idea. Marketing expert Ofa Mintz. Someone typing something on Google is a clear indicator of, of what their intentions are. And so this is one of the clearest signals you can have. 
that this person might need help. So I think it's a brilliant idea. Now, here's where the fine line comes in is what's ethical, not ethical, right? So it could, someone could argue this is an invasion of their privacy and it goes against uh, what they're doing and maybe this is overreach. Is it because we're kind of predicting people potentially in crisis and how to redirect them to something? Yeah, so I should say, again, I, I think that's a great idea, but it's more just stepping back. People typing in keywords, it's a very good indicator of, of what people are thinking. But then it goes to another level, which is almost over-prophesizing, like, oh, here's what you should be doing. Okay, Not even selling a product, but here's what you should be doing on life. Now, again, in a suicide protection issue, I would think that's a, it's a great idea, right? But something that could be great here could be anti in another situation. That, oh, they're telling me to do this, right? People purposely redirecting someone to something that could be somewhat unrelated or malicious. And, and that happens, right? And that happens. And, and as much as Google and Microsoft try to prevent it, it's hard for them to, to handle the scale. Search engine marketer Patrick does see the ethical issues here, but he argues using Google search data to prevent or respond to these dangerous situations is far better than other measures that have been suggested. After the recent school shootings, Trump announced that he wanted someone or some team to develop predictive AI, which is scraping social media to feed into an algorithm that can find someone who would do this before it happens, like a minority report kind of thing. With more and more reports of algorithmic bias, sexism and racism, Patrick fails to see how this would be helpful. Why is the conversation still focused on developing a predictive AI as opposed to utilizing this Google ad click data? I am trying to figure out the same answer right now. I think because we're very squeamish about the conversation that must take place about our confessions being gathered. I think we know that we're very honest with Google and we consider it a place where there's no one looking over our shoulder, which is incorrect. But to have that conversation, like when Trump said that about predictive AI, it was kind of like funny because it was like a minority report thing and unrealistic. But there wasn't an outcry. If he had said, we're going to take all of your Google searches and like figure stuff out, people would freak out. <laughs> that would be crazy to hear that. But here's the whole thing. In my opinion, it's the least technically flawed option to deal with this, but it's no less ethically flawed. But I think we're way past the point. We're way past the conversation of like, if we should go this like techno solutionist route. And I think we've agreed, like with Trump saying that too, we're going to do it. Like we're not debating if that, if, if it should happen, like we're just like, what's the best way to do it? So if that's the case, why not? Use Google data. Considering we're already in the belly of the beast, that beast being Google, why not use the data we've got? Exactly. The campaigns that you are running, because that's coming out of your own pocket, if you see this going further, does that mean they'll have to be budgets for organizations to be able to spend bidding on these keywords so that, say, for example, their suicide hotline appears on the search engine. Is that where this might have to go? Yeah, I mean, you'd need a budget really quick. 
Um, a question I get asked all the time is, so Google has a grant program where they give an advertiser $10,000 per month to use a light version of Google Ads. I get this question every time, why not just do a Google grant, you'll get the money, and you'll have $10,000 a month to work with, and you'll solve everything. The issue is that's not going to work because Google Grant's light version severely limits a lot of what makes AdWord work, so the data would be compromised, you know what I mean? So it must be paid for with real money, not money through a Google Grant. And on an organization's own motivation, like they see the potential in how their service could help people who are Googling this sort of stuff. So they have to account for that in their marketing budgets. Correct. And I should mention that while my ad was the only one running for school shooting stuff, for the heroin stuff, which I didn't get to, but I ran that, people joining ISIS, the suicide one, there were a few other ads, which was the only time I encountered that. They were ads that were being run through that grant account, however, which is... For technical reasons and time limitations, it's not effective. And in the future, I guess, if this is picked up, those places could become more competitive. Exactly. That is the line I'm towing. That's the conundrum because I like to talk about this and I want to spread awareness about it. At the same time, I've had calls from people who want to do what I'm doing and uh, that dilutes the data pool, right? So that's one of the reasons I want to act kind of immediately and collect this data and really hand it off to someone or a group of people who can translate that into policy. The data can fill voids in our understanding about our biggest problems. Even if we can't get people to hop on the phone and call the hotline and change lives individually, with enough data in aggregate over a long enough time, I really feel like these are insights that we have not had access to because this hasn't been done yet. The whole reason I'm talking about this is because I feel so strongly about the potential of this and I intend to pursue it and see where the data leads. Think Digital Futures is made possible with the support of 2SER Radio, the University of Technology, Sydney, and is heard around Australia via the Community Radio Network. Think Digital Futures is made in Sydney, which sits on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, whose sovereignty was never ceded. You can subscribe to Think Digital Futures wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jake Morecambe. Thanks for your company. Thanks for your company.